you for tuning in again to the Word of Life Ministries podcast for another Spirit-filled message with Rocky Brown. Okay, so now you know that we're in the midst of a series called Where is Jesus the Healer? Now, none of you were here or in my life you were on the earth, but you were not in my life. During the time uh, when my youngest daughter, Abigail, was going through everything, now Mandy was there. Mandy was there for a lot of it, and bear witness to it. See, a lot of this stuff that, see, people think I'm lying, or I ain't telling the truth. But now I can tell you, there's numerous people that can give testimony to what Abigail went through. And so, see, but see, Jesus is the healer. But see, when we first started getting reports, you know, I turned to the Scriptures. Where is this miracle worker? Where is he? I'd seen him do some stuff, you know, but it was more like, seemed like it was more like, like winning the lottery to get something to happen than it was anything else. But you know, it does... You know, that's why it's so crucially important to have teaching. Teaching, 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 and then more teaching. Because it's when you begin to study the Scriptures, and the Lord begins to unveil the Scriptures about who He is and what He'll still do and what He will do, that, that we come to find out that, you know, sadly, the Lord is not who the majority of the church has painted Him as. It's very sad. You know, I've said this a number of times. I ain't said it in a while, but now it's just thank you, Lord, that it's brought back to my remembrance. You know, if my children talked about me the way the majority of God, I hear God's children talk about him, I'd be devastated. I would be thoroughly and utterly devastated if I heard Ashley or Cheyenne or Abigail or Elijah talking about me. Like, I hear all too high a percentage of Christians talk about their Father in Heaven. Man, it's devastating. I would be crushed. I would be devastated. So that's one of the reasons why it's such a passion for me to get people taught. Because it's when we understand... See, we need, we need right understanding of God's Word so that we can rightly interpret His character and His nature. And when we can rightly interpret... His word, and we can rightly interpret his nature and his character, we begin to see him for who he really is. Does that make sense? So, you know, this journey for me, as far as, as, far as you know, this pursuit of who Je where is Jesus the healer, you know, this began for me in December of 2013, so that's been 10 years ago now. Yeah, see, and there's a number of events that set us on this course. You know, I, you know, I saw him raise Cheyenne from the dead. That's a true story. And I'll tell you how true I believe it is. I'm prepared to stand before the throne of God and answer for the account that I've gave for it. That's pretty serious, isn't it? I ain't trying to cop out under grace. 
Then I watched him save Eli's life the night he was born and his mom, and Mandy could testify to that. See, there are people that can testify to these things. They've seen it, that were, that were in life at the time. You see what I'm saying? That's why it's good to have people that can verify and just, just, just because. Well, so then see December of 2013. Now, see, what you don't know is to see that Abigail didn't walk and didn't talk even up to two years old. And the doctors would just tell us, well, you know, she's just developing slowly. Well, Ashley walked in nine months. Cheyenne walked in eight and a half. It wasn't my first rodeo with kids. But, so, see, you know what? Now, see, here's a, now see, here's a, a bad Pentecostal doctrine that, that I got sold hook, line, and sinker was, well, you know, you don't say something unless you speak it into existence. Well, see, that's partially right. But see, faith doesn't ignore what the problem is. Faith addresses what the problem is and then endeavors to bring the situation under subjection to God's word. So if you're sick, don't act like you're not sick. If you've went to the doctor and they've said, hey, you've got this issue, go, okay, all right. I, don't sit there and claim, well, no, I claim in Jesus' name I don't have it. No, you've got it. It's right there. We see it. You see what I mean? See, that's not faith. That's ignorance. That, that's, not, that's not rightly interpreting the scriptures. Did you ever see in the Gospels where someone went to Jesus and said, I need healing for this, and he said, well, you're not really sick. It did blind Bartimaeus go to Jesus and say, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me and heal my eyes. And Jesus said, well, you know, you're not really blind. Did he? No, he didn't say that. So see, it's, this is why we need to study the scriptures, right? And so, the, you know, we began to get preliminary diagnoses with Abigail. And it was a tidal wave of diagnoses. It, it was all of these different things, and, it, and there's so much to tell. You know, but so I, I began to seek out Jesus, the healer. Where is he? Does he really still operate? Because we'd seen some things. We'd seen some miracles. But what's this? Is this like winning the lottery? Like, you know, like maybe if we fast enough or starve ourselves enough or igni- deny ourselves enough or all, or all these different things that, 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 then listen to me now, don't profit you nothing. <laughs> Doesn't profit you anything. You see, it's important for you to understand that. See, the whole New Testament principle about fasting is to drive out unbelief. So it doesn't prove to God how holy you are, or how serious you are, or whatever else, and a number of different bad doctrines and principles, and I'll take the Daniel fast where I only eat fruits and vegetables for 23 days or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. It, fasting is not a biblical diet. Fasting is a complete fast designed for you to help you drive out unbelief. It should always be coupled with prayer and study of the word on the topic in which you need help with in the category of unbelief. So, for example, if you need healing, it's not going to do you any good to fast 24 hours and try to figure out who the Antichrist is. Because... <laughs> Because many people have tried to predict it, and they've all been wrong. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So this is what started this, where is this Jesus the healer uh, adventure. 
And so we'll read you a couple of scriptures before I jump right into uh, the topic tonight. F.F. F. Bosworth said this. This is a man who's a Pentecostal minister in the early 1900s and had a, you know, had a wonderful ministry and, and just, you know, uh, miracles and signs and wonders. And, you know, we ought, that ought not be strange. That, that should be, that should, our lives should literally be, literally be littered with the evidence of signs and wonders and miracles. You might say it like this, you shouldn't think it's strange to see them all the time. You should think it's strange for those that don't ever see them. What Christ are they serving? See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he don't change. So for those that aren't seeing them, why are they not seeing them? Well, ultimately, either it's due to ignorance or arrogance, but the Bible says that the reason that you're not seeing is because you don't believe. And a lot of people don't believe because of ignorance. They are ignorant of the word. And a lot of people don't see because they don't believe because of arrogance. Because they, someone's made them mad and they don't want to believe this way or whatever else, right? And so then it's ultimately like shooting a hole in your own boat because you're mad at someone else in another boat. That's how a lot of people, unfortunately, deal with their life, right? So listen to this. All right, this is Matthew. I'm going to read you these verses. You can make notes on them. I'm going to read you these verses. But F.F. Bosworth said this. He said, It's in the study of the compassion of the Lord that we have a complete revelation of God's willingness to heal. All right, well, what are we going to have to study? The compassion of the Lord. Why did he do what he did? So listen to this. Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 23 through 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, now listen, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So what did Jesus do? Everybody's mind went to healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. But that is the third thing in the line that happened. That's not first. See, too many people have got it in their mind that Jesus just healed because he was the Son of God and that was something that he was able to do. Well, if that was something that he was able to do just because of that right and privilege, then explain to me why he went about teaching and preaching. See, the first two things that the Bible says that he did is he went about teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then he went about healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, if you go on down here, now next week we may get into this, we may get into the five categories of sickness that was healed in the ministry of Jesus, which encompasses all types of sickness and disease. But then at verse 24 says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics. Now, that's a bad translation. That word there is epileptics, but that's not right. That's not the modern-day epilepsy. That is an incorrect rendering of what this Greek word is. The Greek word here is the Greek word seleniotsumai. And, and the translators used epileptic to signify that this, can, this condition called epilepsy is very similar to what happens here, but actually 
Epilepsy here is this is actually a term in Greek that's linked to demonic possession. That's why you got this bad Pentecostal doctrine that anybody that's that's diagnosed with epilepsy has a demon. That's not right. That's not right. Epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the capitalists, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. All right, so then stay, just follow me. We go to Matthew 14. I'm going to read you Matthew 14, 14. I'm going to read you 13 and 14. Now, when Jesus heard it, he departed there by boat. Now, they're talking about uh, John. This is the following the statement that the disciples of Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist was beheaded. Okay? So this is where this picks up, and it says, When Jesus heard it, and that's talking about the news of John being beheaded, he departed there by boat to a deserted place by himself, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from their cities. All right, now watch this. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and patted him on the head and said, I'll be a praying for you, brother. He was moved with compassion and did what? It, it says that he healed their sick. So it doesn't say that he did it just to prove that he was Jesus, that he was the Son of God. Why did he do it? It says he was moved with compassion. And he healed their sick. All right. Well, now does the Bible say in the 13th chapter of Hebrews in the 8th verse that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? All right. So then that same Jesus that could be moved with compassion for the sick and to heal them can still be moved with compassion for the sick today. Is that correct or is that not correct? Does that say anywhere that he picked and chose who he healed and who he did not heal? It does not. Does it say that it, that it was by a divine sovereign move of God because God is sovereign that Jesus healed. No, it says he was, he was moved with compassion. Why am I making these statements? But see, we're trying to uh, correct some thinking, right? Not one person here, now the scripture doesn't tell us not one person here that Jesus said, patted him on the head and said, you know, the Lord's just given you this to teach you how to be more holy or, you know, he gives, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest warriors. He doesn't say that, did he? Why did Jesus heal the sick? Because he was, what? Moved with compassion. Now, rewind back last Wednesday. Some of you weren't here, but that's okay. You can pick this up in the message. What did Jesus tell the, the man who had been demon-possessed? See, I like that. The man who had been demon-possessed. What did he tell that man to go do? Go tell your friends at home what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. So it's understanding that really Jesus is more compassionate to the sick than you could ever possibly imagine. Because see, Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious. Full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. All right, well, would you say you're full of compassion? I would not. None of us are. Now, we could need to endeavor to be like that. 
See, we want to we talk about wanting to be like Jesus, but we don't want to act like Jesus. We don't want to be gracious. We don't want to be full of compassion. We don't want to be slow to anger. We don't want to be great in mercy. See that? Jesus moved with compassion, healed the sick. All right, so why is this so important? Well, if you was just, and, and I'll just quote it to you, but if you was to go back over there to the 14th chapter of John's Gospel and just do some looking at a conversation that's taking place between Jesus and the disciples. Now, it's important for you to understand that what you see opened up in chapter 14, verse 1, is a continuance of a conversation that's taking place in chapter 13. So it's very important for you to understand that the book, that the Bible is not divided in chapter like common books are because modern books and writing, a chapter normally ends a thought and the new chapter begins a new thought. But the Bible does not work that way. You know, really, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John are all one setting and all linked together. Now, isn't that wonderful? See, to know that, now, see, that's why you don't have to necessarily quote an entire verse to get the thought across. Because sometimes a, sometimes God's thoughts start and stop in the middle of what man divided his verse. Because, see, the Bible wasn't written in chapter, and it was not written in verse. Verses were added a couple hundred years ago for reference sake. But, see, we've taken that and made that like it's canon from God. Well, now, we can't. We have to quote the entire verse. Well, you can't do that because, see, sometimes that verse is talking about that, the division of that verse is two different thoughts, two different statements. See that? But in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus says what? He says, Philip said, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't believe? Now, this is one of the apostles. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Well, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the express image of God's likeness. In, in, in Greek, this means an exact replica carved out. It's exactly the same in every way. So what you saw Jesus do, God the Father would have done the exact same thing if it was him who walked the earth. What you see Jesus say would have been exactly what God the Father would have said if, he'd, if it had been him walking the earth. The works that you see Jesus work, it's exactly the same thing, the works that God the Father would have worked if it would have been him here walking the earth. And Jesus said, the works that I do, I, I, the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. And the works that I do, it's the Father in me that does the works. See, everything about Jesus pointed to his Father, and if you study the New Testament, everything the Father says points to the Son. See, it's mutual admiration, and then the Holy Spirit just magnifies both of them. And then they, see, it's this beautiful, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's this beautiful, wonderful, wonderful merging and blending where they're constantly deferring. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus says, my father is greater than all. See that? It's this, 
And see, we ought to constantly defer, shouldn't we? See, too many churches, have got, it's, it's the me, me, me show. We can't, we can't talk about other ministers. We can't promote other churches or other ministries or so on and so forth that take the, that take the attention off us. You know, and, and I hate to be the one to tell you this, but, you know, when you're promoting your church, you're inevitably promoting your pastor, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But pastors need to understand, guess what? They're not the only dog in the race. And they don't have all the wisdom and they don't have all the knowledge. And sometimes we need to defer to specialists. See that? But so see, this Jesus said, it's my father in me that does the works. So guess what? The compassion of Jesus does not originate in Jesus. Where does it originate in? It's really the compassion of God the father in him. Does that make sense? So God is actually more compassionate to the healing of the sick than you could ever possibly imagine. And you say, well, why don't I, if that's the case, why are there so many sick? I don't know. Why are there so few that want to listen? See, we've got a picture, many people have a picture of Jesus. That's not right. See, you come to find out, and it's either Luke 5 and 6 or 6 and 7, that the multitudes came to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities and their sicknesses. They came to hear and to be healed. Well, you know, you can't hardly get people to come to hear. And you can't hardly get them to come to be healed. They just sit there thinking, well, you know, if God wants me to have it, I'll get it. And if he don't, I won't. Well, you'll never get it. God wants you to be well. God wants you to be healthy. But if that's your mindset, you'll never get it. Because, see, you're being disobedient to the Scriptures. And once you're disobedient to the Scriptures, you're disqualified for the blessing. It's that simple. We have too many people that think that they can be disobedient to the Scripture and still qualify for the blessing. It doesn't work that way. The only way that you access God's blessing is by being obedient. Disobedient is a disqualifier. Well, we don't want to hear it. Well, I've got God's grace. Well, yeah, certainly, certainly you do. That ain't going to help you a bit. Sure, God will be merciful to you. Sure, God will have mercy on you. But he's going to expect you to believe his word. Because, see, he will not violate the moral law of his government for anybody. If he didn't violate it for Jesus on the earth to get Jesus off the cross, he ain't going to violate it for you. Don't make no difference how pretty you think you are, how handsome you think you are, how funny you think you are, how intelligent you think you are. Don't make no difference how tight you think you are with God. He will not violate his word for anybody. Because if he's willing to violate his word, then everything comes unhinged and he can't be trusted. But thank God, God keeper of his word. And really, we come to find out in Jeremiah that he's watching over his word to perform it. So he's literally watching over the hearts of people, looking for people that will believe his word. Smith Wigglesworth said it like this as an English Pentecostal minister. He said it like this. He said, it seems to me that the spirit of God will pass over a million people endeavoring to find one person that will believe God. I've, I mean, I've ministered to a lot of people. And I'll tell you, I, I, I mean, I'll just tell you, the Pentecostals are the hardest ones to get healed because they think they know it all. 
That's the truth. I ain't trying to be mean, sensitive, or cruel, or anything else. I mean, it's just the truth. And you'd think that these people that get filled with the Holy Ghost, tongue talkers, and they would be the first people to realize how this system works, but you know, they exalt themselves in arrogance and miss God completely. That's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Now, see, it's I, rarely have I ever failed to get someone healed if I could sit with them one-on-one -on -one and get them to see the Scriptures and get them to reason the Scriptures and listen to the Scriptures. And if I see, see you, get, you get them to believe the Scriptures. You don't get them to believe that you've got some kind of special anointing to heal and blah, 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 and this and that. No, you got you got to get them to believe God's Word and let the Holy Spirit do what it's, whatever He wants to do however He wants to do it, right? And so, you know, there you go. So a lot of people struggle to get healing because they're really not going at it according to God's Word. You know, the longer you're a Christian, the more God requires of you. I, I, and that's just the truth of the matter. The older you get, the more God requires of you. The older you get in the faith, the more God requires of you. You know, I mean, you think about it. You ladies that's had babies, you know, or raised kids, us, you know, uh, those of us that have raised kids, it, period. Well, you know, you don't require near as much out of a 12-month-old as you do a 12-year-old. God's no different. See, at some point, You've got to put that big youngin down, and they got to start doing some stuff on their own. You see, too many people are trying to live vicariously through their pastor or their favorite minister, trying to receive from God based on their relationship with that minister instead of receiving based on their relationship with God. See, well, it's hard to get people healed like that. Very, very hard to get people healed like that. Almost impossible. Matter of fact, I mean, you get some people that you can't, you can't get them healed. If they won't believe God's word, you can't get them healed. And there's a difference. Now listen to me. Now there's a difference between ignorance of God's word and arrogance to refuse it. You show them what the Bible says. Yeah, but I believe. Well, no, I don't. Now if what you believe is not lining up with what the Bible says, you you need to stop right there and go, okay, maybe I maybe I need to change my thinking. But, see, now too many people are carried away with, with doctrine, church doctrine. That's oftentimes not biblical doctrine. Well, you know, man-made doctrine won't produce anything if it's not built on scriptural, if it's not built on biblical doctrine. And biblical doctrine, as we said here a few weeks ago, is a doctrine that's extracted from the Word and then continuously proved inside the Word. Right? So let me give you an example of an unbiblical doctrine. God picks and chooses who He heals and who He doesn't heal. You, you can't find nothing in the New Testament to support that. Not one verse. There's not one verse. Now think about it like this. Now I'm going to say this gently. But you know, to say something about God that the Bible doesn't say or is clearly out of line with the Bible is lying on God. Well, I just believe that God picks and chooses who he wants to heal. Okay, well, show that to me in the Scripture. 
more specifically, show that to me inside the Gospels, inside the ministry of Jesus. See, you even use the term the ministry of Jesus, and you just lose a lot of people right there. Well, what do you mean the ministry of Jesus? You know, the three and a half years when he was on the earth, and this is what, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he just, uh, you know, he just worked miracles. Well, no, he did a lot more than that. And teaching and preaching is the most important part of his ministry. You see what I mean? So, see, it's when we begin to endeavor things that are contrary to Scripture that we are charting dangerous waters. Would you like proof of that from the very beginning before there was even, before there was even a law? Sure you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> Go to Genesis chapter 3 and let me show you something. Genesis chapter 3. All right, now, now see, I'm going to start saying, uh, now watch this, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Now listen very carefully to this. You ready for this? All right. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, did God say that? He did. See, this is a partial truth. See, let me stop right here and correct something that will help you. If, if you have bought into this doctrine and teaching that everything that the devil says is a lie, you have been deceived. And I have friends that believe this. And I've tried to work with them. But now let me explain this. If you believe that everything that the devil says is a lie, you are deceived. Because the devil uses much truth distorted. The devil never lied to Jesus one time in the wilderness. He took what God said and tried to distort it. He took what was said and said it with an angle of distortion, which is exactly what's happening to Eve right here. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the garden. Now watch. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. All right? Did God tell her that? No. As a matter of fact, God didn't tell Eve any of that. God told Adam that he could eat of every tree of the garden, but except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Adam took Eve and said, you can't eat it and you can't touch it. Now that was fine for him to give that additional command because see, he had authority of the earth, but God didn't say you couldn't touch it. Adam said that. And God, now see, now why is this important? Well, he's about to get Eve here thinking on a technicality. And see, this is how sin starts, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, the devil gets you thinking on something that seems right, and it's a technicality. Watch this. But the fruit of the tree of the garden, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now watch. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did he lie or did he tell the truth right there? He told Eve 100% the truth. Because what he told her was, you'll become like God to know, to know what good and evil is. And she took of it and ate. And then gave it to Adam and he ate. Well, the devil didn't lie not one time there, did he? But he got distorted what Eve was believing. Now, see, it works the same way today. See, now, if you believe God just picks and chooses who he heals, see, you are not. And you're basing that on, you know, well, I, I, and I mean, a lot of people, you know, oftentimes we'll say granny or grandma. That seems like in the South, that's the, you know, uh, that, that's the spiritual benchmark for all too many people is either, you know, granny or, you know, I know some people that it's their dad. I've told my kids, I've raised my kids, if you see something in the scripture that you know dad's wrong about, don't believe it just because dad said it. As a matter of fact, if you bring it to me and show me. But people become deceived in their thinking, and now because granny, who gave the appearance that she was righteous and holy and the best person and walked on the water, because she went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, was just the absolute spiritual giant, and most people think more of Grandma than they do the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not knowing that Grandma was in rebellion against God for 50 years because she rebelled against the command of God and began to, and, and refused to forgive. Anybody ever seen a Grandma, you know, that everybody thought the world of, you know, just, I mean, just the absolute best person in the world? And, and, and Granny got an unforgiving streak in her from here, as wide from here to Firestone. Well, you know what? That's as rebellious as Satan in the eyes of God. Now, you sit there and grin thinking Granny was top and tall cotton, and you know Granny may just barely made it into heaven because of her unforgiveness. See, unforgiveness is a direct disobedience, is a direct act of disobedience to God. Doesn't matter the situation. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Directly disobedient. Well, now see, now you got guys like me that come in, try to teach the scripture. Well, granny didn't teach it this way, or grandpa didn't teach it this way, or daddy didn't teach it this way. Well, you know, and dad died sick. Grandma died sick. Well, that is not an indicator of anything. That's not an indicator that God's word doesn't work. Just means that maybe they didn't necessarily believe. You know, you can have people go to church four or five days a week and don't believe God will heal them. Does that make sense? So then, so then, see, it's we we have to begin to listen to teaching that's scriptural teaching, not doctrinal teaching, not church doctrine, Bible doctrine, right from the Bible. And then we begin to let the Bible correct our believing and our thinking. And as we begin to open our heart and correct our believing and our thinking, then the Lord shows us a little more. But, you know, like to quote Brother Hagin, too many people are as hard-headed as a Missouri mule. I, I mean, you can't do nothing with them. They won't listen. Will not listen. Don't make no difference what you show them what the Bible says. Well, that's not how my favorite pastor or whatever or my favorite minister or daddy preached it or taught it. Well, okay, but 
you know, none of us are 100% right. You do realize that, right? Even the finest minds in the world when it comes to the Scripture is probably about 70% accurate in everything that they believe and teach. And you've heard me say this before. To claim that you're 100% in any area is to claim you're the same level of, as understanding and wisdom of God. I don't know nobody that's made it there yet. So see, this is why we spend so much time walking through the Scriptures. Walking through the Scriptures. Walking through the Scriptures. You know what? I, I come in here and I could shout and hoot and holler and boy, I mean, just get you all shouting and you not learn a thing. And if you don't learn anything, your time has been wasted here. You might as well, I might as well stay at home. You might as well stay at home. I could have been watching the new Transformers movie or something. Me and Mark could have been talking about old wrestling clips or something. You can't never tell. See, you should come to learn. And you should listen to me now. See, there's too much consumeristic Christianity. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you'll give me and not give anything back. See, you should be coming here to learn to do what? Get people here to come learn, come listen. Well, okay, that's fine too. But, but come get something that you can take to people. See, that's the whole point. That's why I teach. Come here and get something that you can take to someone that needs it. You say, well, I don't have any need for that right now. All right, well, I don't need this remote right now, but I'm going to stick that in my pocket. Because here in about 20 minutes, I'm going to need that remote. I don't need it right now, but I'm going to need it here in just a few minutes to stop this recording. Take what you can get and, and then just stick it in your pocket and hold it. Lord, who can I help? Who, who can I take this to? Does that make sense? So we say all that to say this, because I know there's a, I know we seemingly walked through a lot of stuff right there, and we're only going to get to just the very tip of this tonight. But I'm going to ask you a question. Is, is getting healed God's best? Is getting healed God's best for you? Well, I'm going to tell you that the answer is no. Well, Brother Brown, you're sitting here preaching on healing. What do you mean it ain't God's best? Well, God's best is for you to walk in health and not have need of healing. See, for you to need healing, that means you're sick. Well, it ain't God's will for you to be sick. It's God's will for you to be well. But he'd prefer that you not need healing, which means you wouldn't be sick, which means you're going to walk in health. Well, does the Bible tell us anything about this? Sure it does. But if you don't hear people teach on it, how are you going to know? So go to Exodus 23. We're going to, tonight, part five, is talking about God's best, which is divine health. And I'm going to show you here that, that health was a covenant promise given to Israel. Ready for this? Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 26. Now, now this is already 
chronologically ahead of when the Lord revealed himself as healer of, of sickness and disease. Now, let me say this. It's important to understand that the term the Jehovah Rapha shows up one time in Scripture. Only once. It's in Exodus 15, and, and when God revealed himself as healer, when the Lord revealed himself as healer, he didn't heal anybody. He actually healed ahead of them the thing that could have made them sick, the bitter waters at Marah. You go look that up yourself. Don't take my word for it. The Lord didn't heal anybody. He healed the source of that which was going to make them sick or had the potential to make them sick. And then a few chapters later, we get the revelation that really it's his best for us to walk in health and not need healing. Well, that, yeah, that's good news. Exodus 23, starting at verse 20. Behold, now the Lord's speaking here, and we're kind of jumping in midstream. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. People say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, is Jesus the same? Is he, was he Lord then? Is he Lord now? Does he change? Okay, so this is still a promise. For, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Now look what verse 25 says right here. Very, very intriguing. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And then verse 26 says, No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So the Lord says, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. All right, now if you just clipped that out right like that and said, All right, now Lord, you just said I'll take sickness out from the midst of you. You know that won't work for you. Why, why won't it work for you? See, there's qualifiers. You must remember, obedience qualifies. Disobedience disqualifies. Okay, so what are the, what are the qualifiers here? Listen very carefully. So you shall serve the Lord your God. All right? So if you're going to take Exodus 23 and try to stand on it, and say, Lord, you promised you'd take sickness out from the midst of you. You know, the very first thing that's going to come up for analyzation is, are you serving the Lord? Because, see, that's a part of it. See, 
too often times we want the blessing without the work. We want the, we want the blessing without the serving. So the question is, I, are you serving the Lord? Now, I'm not talking, I go to church, that ain't what I asked you. Well, you know, I'm born again, that ain't what I asked you. You know, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. That ain't what I asked you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to analyze you a little bit, little bit heavier because it seems to me as these tongue talkers are the first ones you can't get off their rear end to do much. That's the truth. I don't know what happens. These people get filled with the Holy Ghost, and the very first thing they do is sit on their rear ends and don't do nothing. Can't hardly get them to do anything. My God, if it wasn't for the Baptists, the Methodists, and the Catholics, I don't know where the gospel would be. Because if it handed off to the tongue talkers and the Pentecostals, they wouldn't leave their camp. I can assure you of that. I know too many of them. Uh, Mandy or Bill be back here amening me too. She's like, my goodness, yes. Good preacher, Brother Brown. She's afraid to say anything. But yeah, they'll stone you, but I'll amen you silently. No, it's the truth. You shall, so you shall serve the Lord your God. And then he will and. See that? circle and so you shall serve the lord your god now if you're got a bible circle and and he will bless your bread and water and then period and then and circle that and well what what's the significance of the and and is a conjunction that's tying statements together it means i can't have what's after the and unless I have fulfilled what's before it. So a lot of people are having trouble with sickness simply because they ain't serving the Lord. Because the Lord says to Israel, I will take sickness out from the midst of you if you serve me. See that? Now, see, we don't hear this. It rubs our flesh the wrong way. It rubs, our, it rubs our church doctrines the wrong way. But, you know, sometimes our church doctrines need to be set on fire and let's get the Scripture in there. See, and see, it's not about a works gospel. See, people think that, you know, well, I'm under grace and I don't, and I, and I don't access anything by works. Well, you are not able to attain salvation by your own works. But nowhere are you commanded in Scripture or even slightly alluded to the fact that after you're born again, you don't have to do nothing. My goodness, how could you look at the ministry alone of the Apostle Paul and think that? Well, that was Paul, and he was an apostle. Okay, well, what about Barnabas, who was also an apostle? What about Luke? What about Mark? What about Timothy? What about Titus? What about, what about, uh, what about Epaphroditus? What about, I mean, you know, how, how many, you know, how many different names we want to throw out here to give you the indicator that, no, you may not be firing at the, at the same level as an apostle Paul, but, you know, the Apostle Paul in his writings give thanks numerous times for people who, who, who brought him books while he was in prison. Are you, would you be that person? Would you, would, you, would you be the person that would take the message that Paul has given to this church, to the church? 
You're going to walk 100 miles round trip to deliver this letter from this man that's in prison to this church that needs it? My goodness, we can't get most Christians nowadays to drive outside a 10-mile radius to go to church. See, it's about serving the Lord. So the qualifier for this blessing, and this is a blessing, is it not? To, to be able to walk in health and not need healing. The Lord said, I'll take sickness out from the midst of you. Well, if sickness don't live in the midst of you, wouldn't that mean that you're walking in health? Now, see, wouldn't that settle the debate right there? These poor, un the, bless their darling hearts. I, I go right back here to COVID and, and all these Christians debating and fighting and ready to shoot each other over whether Jesus would wear a mask or not because of COVID. And, and I began to see this and I thought, dear Lord Jesus, how can these people be this dumb? Well, you know, Jesus would have wore a mask because he wouldn't want to offend nobody. Well, he didn't wear one when the, around the lepers. Did he? No. Now, see, now could you agree to the fact that Jesus served the Lord as God to the fullest extent? All right, then don't you think that when he was here as a man that God was doing for him as a man the same thing that he as Lord was doing for Israel under this covenant? That sickness couldn't live in his presence. Sickness could not live in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Because everywhere he's going, the Holy Ghost is going ahead of him, driving it out, driving it out, driving it out, driving it out. I don't permit sickness to live in my house. Bless God, 14th chapter of John, Jesus said, you love me and my father, we'll come make our home with you. Well, praise God. And some of you probably heard me tell that story about when Cheyenne had the Asian bird flu for an hour and 45 minutes. I just grabbed her right up, walked her in the house. Her sick as a dog and white as a sheet of paper. Now, see, I've got these, I got these principles in my heart. And I laid hands on her. And we're not going to get to it tonight. But see, I stood by faith on the principles. And then about, about an hour and 45 minutes, she was sick and got up ready to eat. And bless God, we spent five days watching movies and eating and just living high on the hog. Now, see, listen to me now. Now, you might think, now, let me finish this up here because I know we're running a little long. But now, Regina testified for a long time. So that was probably 30 minutes of it at least. And I want you to get this. All right. So we see here that the, the primary qualifier to, take, to partake in the blessing here is first and foremost to serve the Lord. So if you're not doing anything to serve the Lord, you can't take Exodus 23 and say, Lord, you, your word says that you'll take sickness out from the midst of me. And he's going, the very first thing he's going to do is say, you ain't done a thing. You're not doing a thing for me. You're not serving me. See, that's the qualifier. Now, the Lord says to Israel that if they'll serve him, he himself will take sickness out from the midst of them. All right, now a lot of people are probably sitting there and they're probably thinking or will think, well, that was Israel and God would do that for Israel. That's right. And Israel is referred to as God's servants. Now, after the death, burial, and resurrection, each person here that has been born again is a child of God. So see, Israel were not, was not considered children of God. They could not be. The children of Israel were not the children of God. 
You want me to prove that, don't you? Sure you do. Say, do it. Go to the first chapter of John's Gospel. All right, now listen to verse, verses. I'm going to start reading at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear to this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now listen, now listen. But as many as received him, who? Jesus. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the ability to become a child of God was not available to anybody until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And if you've been here for the baptism teaching, you've come to find out that eternal life is through because of your union and your spirit to Christ. That's how you are adopted into the family. That is, make no mistake, the only reason that you are able to be called a child of God is because of your union with the Son of God. That's how you become a child of God. That was not available to the tribe of Israel, the, ch the tribes of Israel, the children of Israel. was not available. So in the Old Testament time, Israel was God's servants, but now you're God's children. Now, if the Lord is willing to do this for his servants, how much the more so will God do this for his children? I'd hate to think that there's a servant out there that I'd do something more for than I would one of my own children. Can you see that? Sickness. In this verse, is and we're going to stop right. I'm going to stop right here. Sickness in this verse is translated from the Greek word mahale. Now listen very carefully. Now this Hebrew term is a broad spectrum of term. It can mean sickness, disease, and infirmity. Well, those are all the same things, aren't they? No, they're not. These are different categories of sickness. Webster's Dictionary defines sickness as any type of ill health, a disorder, a weakened or unsound condition, or it can be a specific disease. Oxford Dictionary defines it as the state of being ill. Disease, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, is a disorder of structure or function in a human, animal, or plant, especially one that has a known cause and a distinctive group of symptoms, signs, or anatomical changes. Condition of a living animal or plant body or one of its parts that impairs normal function and is typically manifested by distinguishing signs and symptoms. It can be sickness, malady, Infectious disease, a rare genetic disease, or heart disease. Well, that's two different categories of sickness. That's two different types of sicknesses, isn't it? There's a difference between having a common cold and having heart disease. And then infirmity. Now listen to this. See, because it includes infirmities. Infirmity here is 
physical or mental weakness. So he says, watch this. Now watch very carefully. Listen close. The Lord says, if you'll serve me, I'll bless your bread and water, and I'll take out from your midst sickness, any type of illness, disease, and physical or mental weakness. Who'll do it? He says he'll do it if you'll serve him and believe him. I say, that's, that's, a, that's a covenant promise. You say, well, this is an Old Testament. It is. But see, I'm going to prove to you next week. See, you have a better covenant. See, it, it's sad that the adversary has tricked the church into thinking that Old Testament Israel had a better covenant with God than the New Testament church. And see, that's what's happened. Many of the church, many in the church have become deceived to think that God would do things for Israel that he won't do for the church. But that's not the case. See, you come to find out, and this is why, and why is it so important to study the scriptures? See, now if I ask you, where's the Bible say that at? Now see, you, you, you might not know that because we haven't really taught along these lines. But where does the Bible say that you have, this specifically says that you have a better covenant established on better promises in which Jesus himself is the mediator and keeper thereof? Ooh, the girls are, the, the, their brains are spinning. It's all right, you can Google that and check that later. But now think about it like this. And we're going to end on this note because we're going to come pick up right back here next week and we're going to begin to look again about how to walk in health. But here's the thing. If I told you right now that I said, I come in, I said, praise God, y'all, I've got the best praise report. And I stood up here and I said, praise God, thank you, Jesus, I got a better job. And I, oh, yeah, you did, you did, yeah. Yeah, I took a $10,000 a year pay cut. What? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and not only take it, and not even, and not, on, and not only that, taking a $10,000 a year pay cut, I'm going to have to work 20 more hours a week. And on top of that, I, I got no health insurance now, not even any access to it. And I, got, I went from having two weeks vacation paid to no vacation paid. And, and I went from having 10 sick days a year to having no sick days a year. How, how much would it take for you to begin to think that there's something wrong with Brother Brown? Why does Brother Brown think that he's got a better job? Oh, and yeah, and I got to work a whole lot harder than what I did. And I love the job that I left, and I absolutely hate the work that I'm going to. But God's blessed me, you know, and I've got a better job. Would that be better? If I had to settle for half that, would that be a better job? So then why would we think that Israel has a better covenant than we've got? So see, for it to be better, it would have to, now listen to me now, it would have to include all of the benefits that God was willing to promise to Israel and then some. Because if it didn't include the and then some, it'd just be even. Wouldn't it? $100 is $100, don't matter whether you got it in pennies, nickels, dollars, fives, twenties, or one single bill. $100 is $100. 
But see, you have a better covenant. And not only that, it, the Bible tells us that it's established on better promises. I see, old covenant was between God and man. New covenant's between father and son. God ain't got no covenant with you. You realize that? God's covenant's not with you. God's covenant's with his son. And you partake in that covenant because of your union to him. Not because of how pretty you are. Not because of how smart you think you are. You have no covenant with God outside of Christ. But now watch this. Now see, watch this. Go to, I, I said I was going to stop there, but I ain't. I'm lying to you. I'm going to repent for lying here in just a minute. See, I want you to get this, though. See, so we need to correct our thinking. See, if I get you to correct your thinking, you'll correct your believing. And you correct your believing, guess what? You'll correct your life. You'll start walking in abundance. You know, God wants each one of you here to walk in an abundant supply. That means overflowing. That means, you know, when, you know, when, when, when your kid starts pouring the cup full and it starts spilling on the table, you call that waste and God calls it abundance. You'd like proof of that, wouldn't you? The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the righteous paths for his own namesake. And even though I may walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. My, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will overtake me. Because that's what the Hebrew says. Surely goodness and mercy will overtake me. And then I'm going to dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Now look at Ephesians 1. See, I'm trying to get you to believe this. Because see, this is a scripture. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this very next verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us? I don't believe in that blessed nonsense. Well, you might ought to get born again, start believing what the Bible says then. Because the Bible says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In, in who? In the Baptists? In the Church of God? In the Word of Faith? In the Catholics? The Methodists? The Presbyterians? No, 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 no. In Mammon? In Papa, in your pastor? No, in who? In, in Christ. So see, it's in him that now we have access to all God's best blessings. And now we partake in that by obedience. Or we do not partake in it because of ignorance, arrogance, or disobedience. Now see, that's pretty good, isn't it? Healing is good, but that means you've been sick and you know health is better. Health is better. To be healthy and not need healing is far better than to be sick and need healing. Thank God if you're sick and you need healing. Bless God, God will do it. But hallelujah, he wants you to live above that. All right, see there? Now look, now I'm going right back to that remote. Right there it is. So you should have got something. Take somebody like that remote right there. 
I pray this message strengthened, blessed, and encouraged you. You can find Word of Life Ministries on YouTube and Facebook. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat on.